Very good morning to you. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. It's lovely to see you here this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll just read a couple of verses, verses 10 and 11. It says this in Ephesians 3. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. We've just got back from uh, spending a few days up at what is now called, I think, the Vineyard Leaders Gathering. It's a national gathering of vineyard leaders, which is why I guess it's called the Vineyard Leaders Gathering, uh, up in Nottingham, uh, which was fantastic. We had a fantastic, a fantastic few days. And if you manage to watch any of the Vineyard Leaders Gathering online, which you can do by um, finding the Vineyard Churches UK and Ireland website, you may know that Ellie Mumford uh, spoke on this text when she spoke at the conference. And one of the things that she said is, is how the manifold wisdom of God is, is sort of speaks to a multifaceted diamond, glistening, clear, pure, reflecting the light of God's glory and majesty. And in essence, that's who we've been called to be. We've been called to be the church through which the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Last week we began a series called Vineyard DNA as we look at who it is God has called us to be here at the Southwest London Vineyard. And this morning we're going to take a kind of bird's eye view, if you like, of what that looks like for us all here at Southwest London Vineyard by taking a look at something deeply embedded in vineyard values and what has become affectionately known as the Vineyard person. And this was something that John Wimber, who the Lord used to start this family of uh, churches called the Vineyard, uh, he pulled this together and he would regularly uh, teach it. And it's just a helpful overview of who we are in the Vineyard and what we've been called to be. And as we take a look at that, this this morning, I want us to keep in mind the verses that we looked at last week from Matthew 22, uh, otherwise known as the Great Commandment. And Matthew 20, 28, also known as the Great Commission, along with these verses from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, uh, as a kind of backdrop against which all of this sits. Now, we call this the vineyard person, but it doesn't really uh, mean each one of us as individuals, nor is it by any means a full statement of what we believe church means. The vineyard person, this thing, is, is, is really just a, a simple reminder of our uh, sort of family history and roots and values, if you like, and, and some of the things that direct us as we move ahead. It's just designed really as a kind of a helpful visual aid to capture something of what the local vineyard is all about. So first of all, our foundation. We, we stand on uh, the Word of God. There we go. Uh, these are the things, I think someone once called this, these are things that are germane to the vineyard. And so we, we call this 
this person, Jermaine. So if you want to know who this is, this is Jermaine. Uh, first of all, uh, our foundation, we stand on the word of God, the scriptures, uh, seen through the lenses of the kingdom of God. We are a church that is founded and established on the word of God. At our core, we are evangelicals. And what that means is that we believe the Bible to be uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are our yardstick, they are our gold standard, they are our plumb line, they are our main and plain. And our job is to wrestle with them and grapple with them, uh, recognizing that the scriptures are indeed complex and at times challenging, but... Uh, not giving up on them or dismissing great swathes just because we find it difficult. Rather, we are to seek to teach the whole counsel of God. The good bits, uh, the easy bits, the bits that we love, uh, as well as the difficult, chewy bits that sometimes feel a bit indigestible and sometimes, quite frankly, we'd rather wish weren't there. As the vineyard, we are a people who are wrestling with everything that the Bible says and how it applies to our situations in the world in which we find ourselves. And so we give time to the scriptures whenever we gather together. We open up our Bibles. We dig into the Word of God here on Sundays uh, in our small groups. Uh, and most importantly, we do that when we are alone in our own personal devotions and our quiet times. We are to be a people immersed in the word of God. We are to read it, we are to study it, we are to reflect upon it. We are to be open with our struggles with it as we sit under the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit, um, our teacher and uh, guide. And we know that it's a challenge, uh, especially given the days in which we live. But we cannot and we must not edit out those bits of the scriptures that we find difficult just because they make us uncomfortable or because they're unpopular. Instead, we must do the hard work, and we do that together uh, with one another as a community of faith to grapple with what the Spirit of God is saying to us through the scriptures for our times and for those around us. We'll look at this uh, in a bit more detail in a couple of weeks when we dig into the kingdom of God. But here in the vineyard, our understanding of the scriptures is very much seen through the theology of the lenses of the kingdom of God and all that that means. Uh, what the Bible describes is the story of God. It's the story of his kingdom. And hence, an understanding of the kingdom of God is really, really essential to our foundations. Matthew 4 says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent! for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then it goes on, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The outworking and demonstration of the kingdom of God is seen and can be seen through these kinds of works. And they're just, they are but a taste today of all that which is to come in all its fullness when Jesus returns in glory. The kingdom of God, in its essence, is wherever the rule and the reign of King Jesus is brought to bear in our lives and in the lives 
of those we encounter, be that through uh, salvation, repentance, healing, deliverance, reconciliation, peace, justice, kindness, compassion, mercy, and grace, and on and on and on and on. All of these are the hallmarks and the flavoring of the kingdom of God. These are the things that we long for and call into being on earth as it is in heaven. Which is why we do all the things that we do here at South West Island Vineyard, from you know, gathering together as a church here on a Sunday to all that's going on with Vineyard Kids and the youth in the other uh, kind of wing, through to our house groups and home groups that meet midweek, onto all the things that we run at the yard, which is our community center on the Ashburton Estate. Just kind of knock this wall down and walk for five minutes and you'll find it through things like Grow Baby and Food Bank and Job Club and Tea and Toast and Exploring Faith and on and on and on. All of it. Everything that we are turning our hands to comes out of our understanding of the scriptures and our desire to see the kingdom of God at work in our midst. So having seen what we stand on as a church, the legs, if you like, that keep us up uh, are worship and compassion. Worship is our highest uh, priority. The Westminster Catechism of 1648 states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that kind of sums up our, our heart and our passion for worship. And whilst a key part of worship in the vineyard is through singing uh, these simple songs of adoration to Jesus, as Paul writes in Romans 12, by worship we mean living lives that are fully surrendered to the purposes and person of God, living our lives in such a way uh, as to bring glory to God. And so alongside our sung worship, our worship is expressed through our day-to-day lives in the ways that we deal with one another and how we handle our money and how we behave and how we do our jobs and on and on and on and on. Romans 12 in the message puts it like this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's what we mean by worship. We also worship when we pray, and we also pray when we worship. We worship when we meditate on the scriptures, when we pray for one another, when we heal the sick and cast out demons, when we feed the poor, when we care for the bereaved and welcome the stranger. All of that is worship. But there is something about what the Lord has entrusted to us in the vineyard through our sung worship that is both part of our legacy and our heritage, and it is especially to be both nurtured and cherished. And we'll talk about this more when we look at worship in more depth. But worship in the vineyard has always been about intimacy with Jesus. And this emphasis on worship and intimacy has its roots right from the very, very start and birth of the vineyard. Bill Jackson describes his first encounter with worship of this kind in in a book that he wrote about the vineyard called The Quest for the Radical Middle, and he writes this. He said, a girl came and sat on the stage with her guitar, closed her eyes, and went to be with Jesus. I'd never seen anything like it before. A thousand people with their eyes closed, many with their hands raised, singing and weeping to Jesus. No band, no flash, just broken people 
like me, learning to love God and neighbor. It's such a sweet time of worship together. Never, ever underestimate the privilege that we have of gathering together as the church and worshiping together. This morning, I was standing at the back. One of our 16-year-old youth just sat in that corner, worshiping his socks off. The Spirit of God was all over him, just raising his hands, just pouring out his heart, just in the corner, just between him and Jesus. Sweet, beautiful, precious. As the very first um, vineyard house group led by John and Carol Wimber gathered together, they sang these simple songs, songs not about Jesus, but to Jesus. Uh, Carol Wimber reflects, she says, it was as we sang these simple songs to Jesus that we experienced a more profound sense of his presence. When we gave him worship as a gift, not just as the warm-up for the teaching, but in and as an end in and of itself, a beautiful thing happened. The Spirit of God fell, as he is doing now. God brought his presence, and as we ministered to him, he ministered to us. He is to be the sole focus of our worship, for he alone is worthy. He alone is holy. He alone is our magnificent obsession and our heart's true desire. And it's from that place of worship, uh, as we saw from Isaiah 6, when we looked at Isaiah 6 a couple of weeks ago, that our response can be nothing other than surrender. And so we surrender our lives and we give ourselves to him again and again and again, willingly and gladly. In Isaiah 6, having seen the Lord, high and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple and the smoke and the door the thresholds of the doorposts shaking and all of that stuff, Isaiah, in the light of God's glory and grace, sees himself for who he is and cries, Woe to me, woe is me. I am undone, for my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. And having been cleansed of his guilt and having his sin atoned for, the Lord asks, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah, in that moment, Isaiah says, here am I. Me, 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 pick me. Here am I, send me. And it's as we, week in, week out, day in, day out, experience that very self-same encounter that Isaiah has with the Lord, that we respond in exactly the same way as we say, here am I, send me. We move into compassion. It says, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength. That's when we go out and begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. As we read through the Gospels, we see how often Jesus had compassion. Coupled with his obedience with the Father, compassion is the heart behind so much, if not all, of Jesus' ministry. It's worship that leads us to the presence of Jesus. And he, by his Holy Spirit, then gives us compassion for others. And that compassion that we have, it's not just a feeling. It's like, a, it's like an unction, a compulsion to love and serve those in need. It goes beyond uh, emotion. As the presence of God comes to us as we worship, he leaves like a deposit of compassion in the church. And then we go out from here and express his heart of mercy and his demand for justice to a broken world. 
And that's why, you know, so much of the social, social justice that's been done over the years has emanated from the church. The manifold wisdom of God being made known. Now, here in the vineyard, we have a very uh, long way to go before we get even close to other parts of the body of Christ, like the Catholics and the Salvation Army, in demonstrating compassion. But our expectation and our experience is that the Lord breaks our hearts with the things that break his as he deposits compassion in his church. And so we spend, unashamedly, we spend time and energy and money expressing compassion, not just to the other, but outward and into our communities beyond. In the words of Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. Worship and compassion. These are the legs upon which we stand. And that leads us to the body, or some of the ways in which we describe the community of faith called the vineyard. And amongst other things, they are hospital, family, army, school. Now, there are a number of metaphors used in the New Testament to describe this thing called the church, things like the people of God, the body of Christ, flock, temple, household of God, bride, army, all the way through to sort of agricultural metaphors like plant, field, vineyard, and vine. But each one represents something of the essence of who it is that God has called us to be. And we're just going to look at um, some of these quickly. And the first is uh, in Matthew chapter 9, hospital. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The reality is, uh, many of us, we come to Jesus, in a, if we're honest, in a pretty sorry state. That's certainly my experience. When I came to Jesus, I was only 15, but by 15, I was already a mess. If you've recently started following Jesus, there's often a great deal that needs healing and sorting. You know, even when we follow Jesus for many years, there's often like a lot of hurt and damage that needs his forgiveness and his healing touch. But, you know, we know that our, our sin is forgiven at the cross where Jesus died for us, but we also know that it can take time, sometimes a long time, to deal with the consequences of sin in our lives or with the consequences of hurt done to us by other people's sin. Being in this uh, community of faith, of building and, and, and building relationships with others, you know, through things like uh, midweek house group, that allows the reality of Jesus' sacrifice for us and the power of the Holy Spirit to come and to cleanse us and to transform us with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. And the process of sanctification, you know, becoming more like Jesus, uh, it, it may take a lifetime. <laughs> It will take a lifetime. Uh, but being part of a church that has some kind of um, A&E department, for want of a better expression or description, where we can get healed up from our hurts is a key calling of the church. Secondly, family. In the New Testament, Paul often uses uh, like the metaphor of a building to describe 
the church, uh, one of these, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, in, the, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the fruit of the work of Christ uh, on the cross. We are rescued by his death and his resurrection, and we are saved to become part of the church, his building, his family. We're being built into a home, into a family, by none other than the power of the Spirit of God. God is establishing his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. God is building a home, and every single one of us has a place in this family by virtue of his merciful invitation and by his death on the cross. Thirdly, we're an army. Have a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, whilst the church may be an army, perhaps it's helpful to think of it more like peace, a peace corps. You know, an army that seeks to serve and to equip and to build and to heal and to bring relief and to bring peace. And our weapons of warfare are healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the good news to rescue the lost, to have hearts of compassion for the poor and care for the stranger, and on and on and on, as we see the kingdom of God extended in every way. And then lastly, we're going to look at this morning, um, is school, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know these those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, here in the vineyard, we're, we're wanting to equip the saints for works of service, wanting to equip one another for life. And the best way that we know how to do that is by teaching the scriptures and by exploring what it is the Bible has to say about the various and many challenges of life. Church is entrusted with this duty to equip the people of God and to help one another as we seek to learn what it means to follow Jesus day by day. We also want to learn how to share our faith. We want to learn how to pray for the sick, to give wise counsel, to lead others, to serve uh, faithfully, to, to live generously, and do all the things that Jesus uh, entrusted us to do. Okay, I really do. Need to move on. Uh, this leads to our arms. Okay, things we reach out with. You know, and here in the vineyard, the arms basically signify our desire to reach out to the sort of wider body of Christ, but also to the world in which we live. Ephesians chapter 4. It was he, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ might be built up. You know, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see how Paul goes from place to place planting churches, like all over the place. He'd arrive in a city, preach the gospel, find some poor, unsuspecting person to, to, to run the thing, and then he'd kind of raise them up as leaders, and they'd start a church. And then, you know, occasionally he might send them a letter if they were lucky, promising to visit, never quite making it because he spent most of his time in prison. Uh, here at South West we planted uh, 17 churches over the years, and we're always looking um, 
for other leaders, the Spirit of God, to raise up other leaders from the church here to be equipped and to be trained to go and plant uh, churches in uh, new areas. We've always believed that church planting is the best form of evangelism. And, you know, it's through churches. You think of the 17 churches that have gone out from here. They've had a significant impact in terms of extending the kingdom of God. And hundreds, if not thousands of people have come to faith through just the 17 that have gone from here. And you multiply that across all the plants and church plants that are kind of going across from all other different parts of the body of Christ. Second arm is uh, renewal, as we've said we are to obey Jesus' commission uh, to us from Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And one of the many ways, indeed a central way, in which this aspect of the manifold wisdom of God is made known um, is in and through the ministry of the uh, Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go into it now, and we'll look at this in more depth in the weeks to come, but in the same way that worship is a key part of our legacy and heritage here in the vineyard, so too is ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that is to be distinctive about us is that when we invite the Holy Spirit to come, we genuinely expect that he will come. I mean, what else do we have? We can do none of this in our own strength. And so we need to be empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' hands and feet, to do all that he's commanded us. Acts chapter 1 uh, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And that's why week in, week out, in season and out of season, we pray one of the oldest prayers of the church, come Holy Spirit. And we wait. We wait for him to come upon us and fill us and equip us and empower us to be his witnesses to the very ends of the earth, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Quite simply to do the stuff of the kingdom in which we all have a part to play. And so when we make room for the presence of God to come, it's not, it's, not time, it's not the time for intercession. That's a different thing. It's a great thing, but it's a different thing. It's not the time for us to close our eyes and gather in a holy huddle. It is time for us to open our eyes to look and to see what the Spirit of God is doing. You can see the effects of the Spirit of God. They're clear. You know, the wind is invisible, but you can see the effect of the wind wherever you go. You can see the effect. You can see the Spirit of God landing and resting on people. I could see the Spirit of God resting on that young chap. It was visible in the same way that if a wind is blowing through the trees, the leaves are rustling and the branches are swaying. It's as clear as day. We just need to open our eyes and look and ask the Spirit of God to give us eyes to see what the Father is doing. It's a time when we invite the Spirit of God to come and we say, come Holy Spirit, and we wait 
It's a time for us to open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart to see what God is doing as he broods over his church and fills her and empowers her for works of service. And so can I encourage you? In a few moments, we're going to do exactly the same thing that we do every single week. When we invite the Spirit of God to come, he's here already. When we invite him to increase his presence and make his manifold presence more known to us. Um, can I encourage you to open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit? Expect that he will come upon you. Be expectant that he will pour out his presence upon you and then work through you to minister to others. Be expectant that he will come. Come every Sunday expectant to encounter the living God as we worship together. Come every Sunday expectant that we will encounter the Spirit of God as he heals the sick and frees the oppressed and opens the eyes of the blind and saves that which is lost right here in our midst and then out throughout the week wherever we find ourselves. Let us never get complacent. Let us never take for granted such a wonderful and tangible expression of the kingdom of God. I am coming into land, I promise. The trouble is, you know, we love this stuff. We've been stuck around here for 35 years. I mean, we've been here for 35 years for a reason. We could talk about this all day. I promise you I won't. Last but by no means least, Jesus. Jesus is the head. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Ephesians 1.22, and God placed all things under his and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation chapter 5. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your hand. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign the earth. Then I looked, 
and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever Amen